0: It's the Speeway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host,
1: Speeway. Greetings and welcome to the Speeway Show. I am here. Actually, this is sort of, it's sort of a happy show and it's sort of a sad show because on May the 28th, 2014, the world lost Dr. Maya Angelou, a celebrated poet, memoirist, novelist, educator, dramatist, producer, actress, historian, filmmaker, and a civil rights activist. Dr. Angelou is one of the most renowned, and influential voices of our time. Now, there are many of us who know a lot about her, but there are also some of you who are listening and going, hmm, I've never heard of her. And um, there are probably, I'm sure, a lot of you who uh, live outside the United States who might also be thinking, oh, gee, who is she exactly? I'm just going to give you a flavor of the awards that this woman, won over the course of her lifetime. Uh, last year she won the Literary uh, uh, Award from the National Book Foundation. She also won the Norman Mailer Prize. In 2012 she won the Black Cultural Society Award. And if I go back through history, she has won. I'm just going to list them because there are many the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Literary Award, the Voice of Peace Award, the Gracie Award, the Marian Anderson Award, the Lincoln Medal, the Martha Parker Legacy Award, the Mother Teresa Award. The Heart, She was a Heart's Day honoree. Uh, this was presented to her during Howard University English Department's annual celebration and conference. She won the Charles Evans Hughes Award. She um, was featured at the Museum of Tolerance with Billy Crystal, Joe Torrey, and Carlos Santana. She won a Lifetime Achievement Award given as part of the Ethnic Multicultural Media Awards. She won a Grammy. In fact, she won more than one Grammy for Best Spoken Word Album. And if you're wondering, who else? What other amazing person in history won a Grammy for Best spoken word? It was, if you were listening to the Speedway show, Martin Luther King. She won the National Medal of Art. She won the Christopher Award, the Sheila Award, the Alston Jones International Civil and Human Rights Award, the National Women's Hall of Fame inducted her. She won an NAACP Image Award, a Homecoming Award. She was the American Ambassador as granted by UNICEF. She won the Frank G. Wells American Teachers Award, and on and on. I could go on, and that's just fading back in the most recent years, so By now, you should have a sense of how amazing Maya Angelou was. This woman was a force to be reckoned with for sure. She accomplished more in her lifetime than many of us ever will. Today, our topic is remembering Dr. Maya Angelou, and I have a very special guest. Her name is Jocelyn Womack, and I am so excited about her. Because unlike most of us who learned from Dr. Angelo by listening to her from afar, Jocelyn was actually one of her students. Yes, really, her students, literally. And as you can imagine, a student of Dr. Angelo's is a phenomenal woman herself. Jocelyn is an associate in the labor and employment practice at one of the most prestigious law firms in the United States. Jocelyn defends clients involved in complex employment litigation matters, including wage and hour collective action disputes for misclassification of workers, unpaid wages and overtime, meal and rest breaks, and other intricacies of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Jocelyn and I met years ago when I worked as an associate general counsel at a medical device company in Minnesota, and I was asking the partner that I was working with at this particular firm, well, actually, I didn't even ask. I was complaining. I was complaining about the lack of diversity in the firm's representation on our matters. And I was sort of saying, you know, you, you, you guys don't have, and she was a woman, which was lovely, but I was like, y'all don't have any ethnic diversity in this great big old law firm with all these great lawyers. And, um, of course, you know, the presumption was I was looking for associates uh, who could work on our matters who were, um, um, oh, wait, 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 what's that word? It starts with a Q. Oh, yes, qualified. And the partner said to me, why, yes, as a matter of fact. We have an amazing young associate, and she sent me Jocelyn's bio. So this is how I learned that Jocelyn earned her Juris Doctorate from the University of Pennsylvania Law School, and uh, in fact, I thought, well, that's just a fantastic university, and I happen to know that because my father, the great Dr. Henry Vusso-Moyana was actually a professor there many, many years ago. Uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, Jocelyn served as editor-in-chief of the Journal of Labor and Employment Law. Now, those of you who are lawyers or who know anything about law school know that you have to be truly brilliant to be on law review, to even, all, to even come close to being allowed to write for a prestigious law journal, much less to be editor-in-chief. Jocelyn obtained a master's degree from Columbia University, another phenomenal university because why? My father, the late <laughs> great Dr. Henry Vuza Moyana, got his degrees from, the, from, from Columbia University. Ivy League in the United States, excellent university. and... Um, uh, that was also when I discovered that Jocelyn got her bachelor's degree from Wake Forest University, and if that does not sound familiar to some of you, that is where Dr. Maya Angelo taught, and that is where Jocelyn studied for a year under Dr. Maya Angelou. And so Jocelyn and I have had a wonderful professional relationship ever since I discovered her, um, thanks to my, you know, uh, uh, interested inquiries, Uh, of her law firm. But uh, all that to say, I have found Jocelyn to be a phenomenal resource and uh, today our partnership continues. She is my outside counsel. She's my go-to chick for my uh, employment matters. And uh, (laughs) so I cannot say enough about Jocelyn. Jocelyn, welcome, welcome, welcome (laughs) to the (laughs) QA. Thank
2: you so much, B-Way, for having me tonight, and thank you for that very, very nice introduction. I appreciate it, and I'm happy to be here and absolutely thrilled to be able to have this opportunity to reflect with you on Dr. Angelou.
1: So before we get into that topic, share with us, in your own words, um, what do you do?
2: Well, as you mentioned, I'm a labor and employment attorney, and I, I do litigation as a an associate. I help drive single plaintiff litigation, so I help with depositions, interviewing fact witnesses. But a lot of my time, as you know, is spent doing client counseling, so talking to clients about new policies or new laws that have come out. I might help them with terminating an employee, you know, where they want to get, like, a second opinion before they make a decision. I might counsel them on disability-related issues, issues that come under the Family Medical Leave Act, and so on and so forth. And I also do a lot of pro bono work in my my practice as well. I have a couple of regular clients here in Philadelphia. Um, One is a women's group where I do the same kind of counseling, but for them it is free.
1: (laughs) Free is good. Everybody who looks for lawyers seems to want free legal advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And how long have you been, can you mention, can you tell us the name of the firm that you work for?
2: I work for Morgan, Lewis, and Bacchus, and I'm in their Philadelphia office. And in October of this year, it will have been five years, which even surprises me. It's it's gone by so quickly. But, yeah, five years in October.
1: Well done. Congratulations. That's a big deal. (laughs) Thank you. And especially for a young associate of color in a major prestigious law firm, because a lot of us don't do well. In major law firms. So for you to have been there five years is actually quite a feat, I must say. So congratulations. Thank you. And uh, so when we think about the um, work that you do, so you mentioned you're based in Philadelphia. Are you focused solely on clients in Philadelphia, or do you serve clients around the country as well? I serve
2: clients. All over the country, California. I've, as you know, I've had clients in Minnesota. I've had clients in Illinois. I have clients in New York. I, I talk to people all over the country every day. And I've even had some counseling issues, and I've, I've worked with clients in London.
1: <laughs> so, oh wow, definitely once oh, so international it's gamut. Not just national. It's,
2: <laughs> it's international. Yeah, it's international. Yeah, I've done some international That's counseling. Impressive. And luckily enough, you know, our firm has international offices, so if I don't have the answer, I can network with my colleagues in our international offices to get the answer for our clients who are abroad.
1: Excellent. Now, you wrote an article about Dr. Angelo on BK Nation. What was the title of your article? Yes. The title of the article was actually
2: a quote from Maya Angelo, which was, when you learn, teach. When you get, give. I, I thought that it was a great summation of just the influence that she had on my life, and just the principles that I think we took away from her as her students. And what did what inspired you to write it? Um, it's funny. I was reflecting on her passing, and I. Just happened to look at Twitter, and one of my former employee, employer slash friend slash mentor, um, a writer by the name of Kevin Powell, was tweeting about Dr. Angelo, and, and I mentioned to him, I said, you know, if it weren't for her, I would have never met you. We would have never had an opportunity to work together, and, and that's really been the case a lot quite recently. Unfortunately, a lot of, of several of my mentors have died over the last few years, um, from Maya Angelou to Amiri Baraka, who I took a class with while I was at Columbia, and um, also, unfortunately, uh, Dr. Manning Maribel passed away a few years ago as well, and all of these people were very central to my life right after I graduated from Wake Forest, and they're all sort of part of this connection that I had to Kevin and our time together, and, and just... They have a huge influence on my life, and so when I saw him tweeting about it, it just made me think about the great time that I had with him, about, you know, just how great he was as an employer. Um, When I worked for him, he was really invested in, in me as a person and not just, you know, his assistant that came to his home to help him plan for lectures, to help organize his archives and his files. He wanted to be sure that I was experiencing life to the fullest in New York City, and, you know, I grew up in Virginia. I went to college in North Carolina. New, moving to New York is kind of a big deal, so we would, you know, take walks around Brooklyn. He made me eat Jamaican food for the first time, he made me eat Thai food for the first time. <laughs> and, and so when she passed, it, you know, it just made me think about sort of all of these rich experiences that I've had since I've graduated from Wake Forest, way, way back in 2000, and it, it started with her because she opened that door for me to go to New York, for me to relocate there, for me to start working for him, and, and I was just, you know, it, it, it was sad news, but it was also, I was also filled with joy as I, as I thought about that connection that I had with her and, and just the huge influence that she had on my life, and, and just, I don't know, I kind of just looked back on it in awe, oh, like, wow, that really happened, so... <laughs> So that's sort of where – that's sort of how I ended up writing the article because Kevin has a website, and he said, you know, I'm trying to do a whole issue on Dr. Angela. I'd like to have reflections, and I'd love to have your contributions. So I said, sure. So I, you know, took a moment, wrote something, and he posted it, and and that's sort of where that all came from.
1: Oh, that's nice. So take us back to the year 2000. Was it at Wake Forest? Was it hard? To get into her class
2: hard does not even begin to describe it <laughs> <You know? laughs> there were a lot of reasons why I decided to go to Wake Forest and and one of them you know you hear when, it, when colleges are making their pitches to students one of them is, is about all of the esteemed faculty that they have and one of the things that Wake Forest really prided itself in was the fact that Dr. Angelou was on its staff and I think When I was in high school, a senior, you know, kind of cynical about it. I was like, yeah, she's on your staff, but is she really going to teach a class? Or if she does teach it, Mm -hmm. she'll probably teach it once, and I'll be lucky if I ever get in. You know, (laughs) much to my shock and my pleasure, I was absolutely wrong (laughs) in making that assumption. And she taught three of the four years that I was at Wake Forest, and as you can imagine – Every student, and when I say student, I'm talking about undergrad, grad student, anyone who could enroll at Wake Forest wanted that opportunity to get into Dr. Angelo's. And like most colleges, you know, are always classes that are popular and the way things yep. go if you're a freshman you're kind of bottom of the totem pole so it's, it's pretty much mm-hmm. a done deal you're not even gonna get on the wait list <laughs> so um, so I kind of understood that and I said okay I'll just bide my time and hopefully you know as I become more <laughs> senior my odds of actually okay. getting in will improve right so my sophomore year if I recall correctly I don't think she taught she came back my junior year and she taught and that year I actually got on the wait list but I did not get off the wait list <laughs> but she did tell us okay. she said I'll be back next year I'll be teaching two classes next year so please come back please try to get into the class again I'm like uh, you don't even have to tell me that I'm gonna get into the <laughs> class next year as a senior okay I mean there's got to be some payoff for the dues you pay if you make it through four years and, and you know fortunately it worked out I did I wasn't even wait I got into both of her classes that year um, and and just sort of sent my condolences to the freshmen who were, who were turned away or didn't even make it onto the wait list. But what I will say, you know, to her credit, our class was probably fit to seat maybe 50 students. She tried mm-hmm. her best to take every single person she could off the wait list. So I think when it was all said and done, we ended up having a class of about 75 to 80 people, and people, Holy you know, were cow. just sitting where they could, standing where they could. They just wanted <laughs> to be there, and she, she understood that. And so she tried her best to let in as many as she could so that people could have the experience. So, I mean, it, it was great. Oh, it was, was great. great. But, yes, to answer your question,
1: it was extremely difficult <laughs> to get wow. into that class. And you got in not once, but twice. So what were the, what were the topics for the two classes that you took under her?
2: So in the fall of my senior year, that would have been uh, fall of 1999, she taught a course on liberation through literature. So we studied works from a, a diverse array of writers from all periods of time, you know, James Baldwin, Polly Marshall. And all of the books had some theme of, of someone in the book trying to liberate themselves from their circumstances. And we just talked about sort of those those ties that that connected all of these individuals and from all different walks of life. And the great part about it is, you know, the first day of class you come in and you're really nervous, and to put us at ease, the first announcement that she makes is, look, you're all going to get A's. So I want you oh. to just relax and have a good experience And the only thing that I ask of you is that at some point over the course of this semester, you make a meaningful contribution to our discussion about the literature. And, yeah, collective sigh of relief, okay, I can handle that. I can do that. And, I mean, it it was easy to do because the work that she had us reading, the works were just great. I mean, I love James Baldwin, so she had me. I knew it was going to be a good class. So we talked about that, and as a part of the course, you also – We were also invited to her home to have dinner, and we screened a film, because that was about two years after the film that she directed, Down in the Delta, was released. Wow. So she had her over... To her home, and we watched down in the delta because it sort of it connected to this whole idea of of these characters who are trying to liberate themselves, and and you know some of it was very literal, you know, someone trying to physically liberate themselves, and then a lot of times we had we explored characters who were trying to break free of something psychologically. Um, I mean, it was really great because she pushed us to sort of look beyond our traditional, our comfortable notions of analyzing characters or looking at books. Um, Second class in the spring of 2000 was a poetry and performance class. So again, you know, we're studying works from a very diverse array of of writers, and the class culminated in a performance at the theater at Wake Forest where each one of us had to get up and do a poem On our own, and of course, the catch is, you know, she wanted to push you to get outside your comfort zone. So, for example, you know, I am, like I said, I'm from Virginia, and I don't know how much of an accent I have now, but you know, if I spend a couple of days at home, that southern (laughs) accent comes out. And so, she pushed me to do. a Robert Burns poem who is a Scottish poet in a Scottish accent. Wow. Don't ask me to do that now because I absolutely we could never repeat that feat. But yeah, that, you know, those were the sorts of things that she tried to get out of us. And it was really sweet because she invited all of her friends from the community. I mean, we had a really good turnout and, I think we all had to wear, I think of solid black, either a black dress or a black suit, and before, and before the performance, she gave the guys a pen to wear, and all of the girls got a strand of pearls to put on with their outfits. It was just really oh, sweet nice. and sentimental and, and just very, just very generous, but just, you know, it, it felt very special. Um, she put a lot of time into that and, and took a lot of pride in the performance that we put on, and it was just, it was excellent.
1: Wow. That's pretty amazing. So did she take, you know, in my head, I've got this visual of these 70 plus, 50 to 70 students. Did she take all of you to her house for dinner?
2: Oh, yes. Every single one of us invited to her home and she set up in the backyard. So she set up chairs and then she had like a screen there where we could watch the film and we had, oh my God, we had this fake spaghetti that was so good and the best sweet tea I have ever had and I'm from the south and I've had my share of delicious sweet teas but I to this yeah. day remember how good the sweet tea was at her home and and so yeah she talked to us we sat around after the film and we talked about the film we talked about some of the books that we were reading she allowed us like in smaller groups to break up and take a tour of her house I, I mean it was it's was a very long night it wasn't you know when someone like Dr. Angelo invites you to her home. You're thinking, you know what, if we just get an hour, we're good. (laughs) You know, you're not thinking that she's going to just, you know, you're thinking, okay, we're just going to get in and get out. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not supposed to go. We're just going to sit in this chair, and we're going to eat our dinner, and we're going to be really (laughs) happy about it. Um, But instead, you know, I felt like I was being welcomed in the home of a, a friend or a family member. I mean, we were made to feel very comfortable. I know that that evening had to have been at least three to four hours at a minimum. Wow. And, you know, we never got the sense of like, okay, kids, you know, I'm I'm, too, I'm tired of you. Wrap it up. Go home. I'm done with you now. <laughs> no, she was, I mean, she was there till the very end, just interacting with everyone. And I, like I said in the article that I wrote for BK Nation, there are few people that live up to the legend. And I just think that Dr. Angelo was one of those people who, not only lived up to the legend but in many ways surpassed
1: it wow that's really amazing so when you reflect on the takeaways um what were the biggest life lessons that you took away from those two classes that you had
2: One of the lessons that I remember that that still sticks with me to this day, um, she talked to us about how she was afraid of death. And that resonated with me because, you know, I think that it's normal for people to have a a fear of death. I I certainly have one myself. And sometimes, you know, in your quiet moments you kind of think about how, you know, it's this inevitable thing. We're going to lose people that we love and care about. And sometimes that kind of fear and anxiety about the inevitable can be paralyzing, and, and she told us that in order to face her fear, she decided that what she wanted to do was live the fullest life possible because it was the only way to sort of deal with the fear, and that's something that I try to remember and sort of remind myself of on occasion when I get in sort of that place of, of just quiet, crippling fear, like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, I haven't called my mom in two weeks. She's not going to be around forever, and I'm going to kick myself for not doing this, and then I remember, okay, look, Let's not be in fear. What are we going to do about it? And so, like for example, like uh, last month, I just decided to go home and surprise my mom for Mother's Day. You know, things like that. That that lesson was quite poignant because I, I read, you know, I, I connected to the fear that she shared, and and I thought it was such a great response to it. Um,
1: wow. Yeah. That that's, that's kind of funny you. when you say Dr. Angela was afraid of death. It's like wow, I mean, he's just afraid
2: of something. <laughs> Exactly. Here's this woman who just seems to be able to do anything. I, I, I just, when I when I listen to you listing her accomplishments, and when I think about all that she did, you almost get the sense mm-hmm. that she just woke up one, you know, she'd just wake up and say, you know what, I want to go write a book. You know, and then like a
1: week later she wakes up. And she wrote and says, you know, a ton of them. <laughs>
2: yeah, she wrote tons of them. And then she wakes up two weeks later and says, you know, I think I'm going to direct a movie, and it gets done. You know, it's, it's kind of amazing, and yeah. And so it's, 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 I don't know. It makes you feel even. It made us feel more connected to her for her to share that fear, or to even learn, like, wow, you are human. You know, you, you know, you have fears just like the rest of us. It was, yeah. It, it was definitely something that stood out with me. And, and like I said, it's something that I think about quite often, actually, when I think about her or just dealing with a number of things in life, I think, about that particular lesson that she shared with us. Um,
1: So she had many quotes, lots and lots of quotes that were publicly um, touted, and in fact, one of her quotes, I I think it's it's the one that I have seen uh, by far the most since she passed, and it's actually the quote that I... um, Was I I thought was so very appropriate for this particular show, and it was the quote where she said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Were there any particular things that she said in her class, not, you know, quote, things that she said that stuck with you? One thing she said that stuck with me
2: the most, and, and she may have, knowing her, she's probably said it publicly, because I think that she's one of those people that, you know, is constantly sort of sharing her wisdom with others, but um, just to backtrack a bit, you know, I had an experience, I think I might be jumping ahead, but I, I just want to go into the experience that I had visiting her during office hours,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and, you know, I had gone to ask her a question about class, and I was just hoping, once again, just to get maybe 10 minutes of time, and I'm, I considered that a win, you know, 10 minutes and I'm good. And it ended up being this, like, two- or three-hour conversation that I had with her because once I realized, okay, she's really here to talk, and she's okay with having a conversation, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to run with it and see where we go. You know, I, I, yeah. she she complimented me. I will never forget I had on a pink cardigan that day and she's like I love that color and I said well thank you Soror because I knew that we were in the same sorority and she's like oh Mm -hmm. you're welcome Soror and okay we could have ended the conversation right there and I would still because you were in heaven at that point yeah exactly (laughs) exactly at that point I pretty much left the universe and that was just like one exchange and so we continued to talk you know about I had questions about, like, in class, she was really generous with if we had a question about a random person that she had worked with or that we had seen her in pictures with and we asked her about them, she would always stop and and tell us anecdotes and stories about that person. And the one person that we hadn't talked about in class, and I was a little bit too embarrassed to ask about it, was Tupac, because at that time in my life, I was very much, I was all things Tupac. I loved him as an artist, and he had been killed my freshman year of college. And, um, and and so I, t- I told her, I said, you know, I always wanted to ask you about Tupac. And it's funny because she said, you know, I wish you would ask me about him in class. I would have loved to have shared this in class. And, in fact, I think I'm going to share it at the next class. So we talked about her time on the po- the Poetic Justice set and her time spent with him and, and how much she had really tried to help him and wanted to help him and sort of take him under her wing and, and oh. how it, it, was, it was beautiful. I mean, because I think that – Someone like a Tupac could rub people the wrong way, and your your reaction might be, okay, you know what? I'm going to let you go that way, and <laughs> I'm going to keep my distance because you've got a lot of going on with you. And so I love the yeah. idea that she saw him as, you know, I, I think it's fair to say he was a troubled young man and that she wanted to embrace that and embrace him and, and and really, you know, try to help him. And so we talked about that, and, of course, okay, yeah, now I'm really You thought I was out of the universe after the whole exchange about the floor (laughs) thing. Yeah, now I'm really just, I don't even know where I am at this point. I think I'm literally levitating in the room.
1: And so... You threw the black hole on the other side. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
2: Or as my friends and I used to joke, like, girl, I am on deck for the upper room because I'm just going to pass out right here, you know? (laughs) The end of the conversation. You know, she kind of asked me, um, "Well, what do you think? What are you going to do after graduation?" And I really didn't know. You know, I was one of those people that went to college and thought, like, "Oh, you go to college, and when you leave, you get a job." And I don't know what that job is, but you're supposed to know what it is by the time you leave it. And I had no idea. And so that's why I was, you know, grateful for Kevin, who had made me an offer to, had extended an offer for me to work as his assistant in Brooklyn later that year, because I decided to do that. But I told her that it also had some interest in writing and maybe journalism. And she just said, well, and I already told her that I was, I was going to relocate to New York. And she said, well, where, do you, where would you like to work this summer? And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> we do I want to work this summer. And I was like, well, you know, I look, I just want the experience. I don't, beggars can't be true that I, I have no job. preference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if it's actually a job doing something I want to do, bonus. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you what I will and will not do. I will do whatever is basically what I'm saying. And she said, well, you know, I have friends in New York, and I think that we could figure something out. And she then proceeds to write down her home phone number, which was another – don't even. I, I still have the notebook and the piece of paper where she wrote down her phone number. It'll be worth like ten million dollars in a couple of years. <laughs> I would never sell it. I would never, never, never and so it's just, she's like, Okay, well I want you to call me tonight, I don't know, after six thirty or anytime after seven and I'll have some options for you. So of course okay at that point, I'm just like speechless, I'm stuttering, I'm flabbergasted, I'm shocked, I'm overwhelmed, and I, I don't know, I think I managed to mutter out a thanks and say something to the effect of, you know, I really appreciate this, I had no intention to come in here and solicit work, you know, <laughs> I just really wanted to talk, and and this is, this is getting to your point and to your question. What she said to me in response has stuck with me to this day. And she said, I am here to be used, not
1: abused.
2: And, oh, yeah, she said, what? you know, I, she said, I am fortunate enough and I am blessed to have friends who can help people. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to try to help people, you know, do what it is that they're trying to do, and if, if I have the means and I have the resources, then certainly I'm supposed to share and I'm supposed to provide. That's what I do. She's like, I just don't want to be abused. And, of course, I, at this point, I think I just, I don't know, I'm trying not to cry. I think I might have muttered out, yeah, no, no, I wouldn't abuse." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Just> Whatever. But it's <laughs> just a totally inappropriate, very underwhelming response from me. Um, and... Yeah. But that lesson kind of stuck with me. I mean, I had no idea when I walked into that office that day just to chit-chat with her and maybe soak up some of that excellence that she had. <laughs> I had no idea that by the end of that night, I had an offer. I could either go and intern at Essence Magazine or I could intern at Ms. Magazine. She's like, I know the editor-in-chief wow. at both. She's like, so tell me which one, and then I'll get back in Ooh. touch with them and then someone will reach out to you. And I said, well, I, oh, yeah, of course. I'm like, I'm shocked again. <laughs> I just decided, like, okay, I want to do something different, so I'll go to Ms. Magazine and intern and, and, and work there for the summer. And, and that, sure enough, by, I think, June wow. of 2000, that's exactly where I was. Oh, my gosh. And so that's, that's really the amazing. lesson. And I tried to just remember that. I mean, because I know that there's really – I mean, she's literally the woman who had it all, so there's nothing other than my gratitude <laughs> that I can really give to her that she couldn't get herself, you know, so I feel like the best way to do it. I know it sounds cliche, but it's to pay it forward, so I feel you know I feel very, I feel that's how I honor what she did for me is, is by playing that role for other people whenever I can, if there's someone that's just talking about something they want to do in passing or something they need, or if I see two people that I think are sort of like-minded and working towards the same goals, I want to put those two people together because you never know what can happen. And and that's what she did for me that day. And, -hmm. and yeah, I'm here to be
1: used, not abused. Well, then maybe this goes into the last question of, Planning to ask you, which is so for all of those listeners out there, what is the best way that people can honor Dr. Maya Angelou's memory? That's absolutely it. I think it goes
2: it goes back to the whole being a being used and not abused thing. Allowing yourself to be used, and not in the traditional sense that we think about, oh, this person's using you, but in the sense, you know, we all have gifts, experiences, talents that we bring to the table, and when people cross our path and we hear them talking about their goals or their dreams or listen to what it is that they're trying to do, if there's something that you can contribute, by all means, I think you honor her by contributing to that person. And it might not be something tangible. It might not be some networking opportunity. Sometimes I think people just benefit from hearing your experiences or hearing the lessons that you've learned. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about making it five years at a, a law firm as a, as a yeah. person of color, and my success and and my being able to keep my job this long is due in large part to people who took the time to sit down with me and talk about the missteps that they made as a junior associate and, and share those lessons mm-hmm. with me. And, and I take them to heart and I try to apply them and remember them and think about them. And I think sometimes it might also come in the form of criticism. You know, someone telling you, hey, this is great, but next time you could do X, Y, and Z better. I think that that's how we honor her. I think it's being open with people and I think it's Teaching them when we can, giving when we can, and and trying to connect like-minded people because you never know what that could bring to the world. It could be something great. So, <laughs> or how you might be affecting their life. You could be changing their life and, and not have any idea that you're doing that. So, I think that's how we honor her. And, and I think going back to that, you know, what I mentioned about her fear of death. I think trying to live a full life. You know, not being well, paralyzed. do that. Yeah, (laughs) living a full life, and I think sometimes that means stepping outside of your your comfort zone. You don't have to do it all the time, but every now and then, you know, just being bold enough to give it a try and and sort of taking that effort as the victory, just think, you know, it
1: it might not always work out, but at least you did it. Well, and you know, um, the thing that I thought about as you were talking about her saying that she was here to be used is the fact that your success is unremarkable to you, right? So for you to have made it five years in a large law firm may be unremarkable to you because you did it. And and the fact that you did it means that you have the tools, the energy, the interest, the curiosity, all of the qualities that you needed to learn your way through and to be successful, and then you were also um, supremely qualified and incredibly <laughs> right. smart. otherwise you'd have never made it through the door of that law firm. Right. In the perfect, right. But when it's you, right, it, it, it's not a remarkable thing. And I, I'm struck by how humble Dr. Angelo was, because to her, it was nothing, right? to make an right. introduction to two magazines because they just happened to be people that she knew. If you had said, I want to work at Harpo, she would have just picked up the phone and called her friend and said, hey, Oprah, i got this young lady who wants to come and work for you. And, you know, to me and you, it was like, wow. Right. <laughs> what a romantics, right? And 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 we sort of, you know, here you are talking about how enamored you are with this woman, and 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 you know, she kind of, she blows at you, and I'm I'm sort of mentally, vicariously living through you. I mean, if she if she even looked at my way, I I think I'd just be falling over, right? And so, but to her, <laughs> it was an unremarkable thing that she did, and I think, if we all take that view, that actually. Even though my success is unremarkable to me, um, there are other people who can use what I know, the people that I know, the things that I know. And actually, it's the reason I do this show because I have a lot of things that over time I figured out, hey, you know, I have a lot of things to say and I've got a lot of people that I know who have a lot of things to say that other people find helpful. And so perhaps it's as we're thinking about paying it forward, it's also to remember that there is nothing that you are that isn't good enough to share and so to somebody else you know your two cents worth of success might be all the difference in the world and so i think we do have that responsibility to share what we know and our skills and our talents because we're not all created equal and i I always hate it when people say well if i can do it you can do it and i'm like no that's not true that's never true Because you've got your skills, your talents, your determination, and you've got your triggers. You've got that thing that made you wake up that one day and say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. And, and, and not everybody can do that. So I, I I take the point and I encourage our listeners, you know, no gift is too small. No ability is too small. And um, we, we all, I think, have a duty to share the talents that we have been given so that together we can become collectively better. Any parting words you want to share with our listeners? Um, I think that you have
2: <laughs> summed it up because I, I love what you said about, you know, I think that whatever it is that you have, it is something that you should share. And I, I absolutely think that that is just a great parting message. At least I believe so, I think that that sort of sums up what I think is the best way to honor Dr. Angela's le- legacy and and to just sort of embody what she meant and what she really was, and and to keep that legacy, to keep that memory and to keep her contributions moving forward, even now even in the event of her passing. Mhm
1: Well, Jocelyn, thank you so very much for being a guest on this vA show. I um, am just delighted beyond words. And and listeners, you know, this this was such a serendipitous show because I I had planned to do a tribute. And my original plan was I was going to see if I could get people to call in and talk about what something they had read, something they had seen, something that had touched them about Dr. Angelo. And I was actually, you and I were talking about a case at work. Right. (laughs) And I suddenly said, hey, I am so sorry because, you know, your teacher just passed away, and this is how we end up talking about this. And I said, this is not even work-related. You don't have to do it. <laughs> and, and, and and you're still going to be my outside counsel if you say no. I'd really <laughs> love it if you would talk about your reflections. And I think this just, It just, I I don't really believe in luck. In luck, I think, you know, God orders things a certain way. And I think for the audience to hear you talk about what that was like is just absolutely priceless. So thank you so much for sharing your memories um, and sharing with us just a little bit of what that must have been like. And listeners, I am going to post Jocelyn's profile and a link to the article that she talked about on Speedway.com on the episode for this show. And so visit Speeway.com and you will see all things Jocelyn. If you want to get in touch with Jocelyn, you'll be able to do that too. And um, you'll be able to learn a little bit more about the work that she's doing right now at Morgan Lewis. So Jocelyn, thank you very much for joining me on the Speeway Show.
2: Oh, My pleasure, Speedway. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, this brings us to the end of this show. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Speedway saying thank you for joining us. Go in peace and pay it forward
0: thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes join the fan page at facebook.com slash show. and follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow until next week live well, live fully and love deeply
1: Sorry, my mute was on. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Steeway. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing just fine. So here's how this is going to go. I am going to launch the show. So you're going to hear the intro. And then okay. I'm going to start chattering after the intro. And I'm going to talk about my Angela and what was so great about her and some of her accolades. And then I'm going to talk about you and how we met. And then your cue is going to be when I say, Jocelyn. welcome to the Speeway Show. And then okay, (laughs) hi, I'm so glad to be here. And then we'll launch into the questions, okay?
2: Okay, sounds good.
1: All right, here we go.
0: It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host,
1: Speeway. Greetings and welcome to the Speeway show. I am here actually this is sort of it's sort of a happy show and it's sort of a sad show, because on May the twenty-eighth, twenty fourteen, the world lost Dr. Maya Angelou, a celebrated poet, memoirist, novelist educator, dramatist, producer, actress, historian, filmmaker, and a civil rights activist. Dr. Angelo is one of the most renowned and influential voices of our time. Now, there are many of us who know a lot about her. But there are also some of you who are listening and going, hmm, I've never heard of her. And um, there are probably, I'm sure, a lot of you who uh, live outside of the United States who might also be thinking, oh, gee, who is she exactly? I'm just going to give you a flavor of the awards that this woman won over the course of her lifetime. Uh, last year, she won the Literarian uh, uh, Award from the National Book Foundation. She also won the Norman Mailer Prize. In 2012, she won the Black Cultural Society Award. And if I go back through history, she has won. I'm just going to list them because there are many the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Literary Award, the Voice of Peace Award, the Gracie Award, the Marian Anderson Award, the Lincoln Medal, the Martha Parker Legacy Award, the Mother Teresa Award. The Heart, she was a Heart's Day honoree. Uh, this was presented to her during Howard University English Department's annual celebration and conference. She won the Charles Evans Hughes Award. She um, was featured at the Museum of Tolerance with Billy Crystal, Joe Torrey, and Carlos Santana. She won a Lifetime Achievement Award given as part of the Ethnic Multicultural Media Awards. She won a Grammy. In fact, she won more than one Grammy for Best Spoken Word Album. And if you're wondering, who else? What other amazing person in history won a Grammy for best book and word? It was, if you were listening to the Stevie Show, Martin Luther King. She won the National Medal of Arts. She won the Christopher Award, the Sheila Award, the Alston Jones International Civil and Human Rights Award, the National Women's Hall of Fame inducted her. She won an NAACP Image Award, a Homecoming Award. She was the American Ambassador as granted by UNICEF. She won the Frank G. Wells American Teachers Award and on and on. I could go on and that's just dating back in the most recent years. So by now you should have a sense of how amazing Maya Angelou was. This woman was a force to be reckoned with For sure, she accomplished more in her lifetime than many of us ever will. Today, our topic is remembering Dr. Maya Angelou, and I have a very special guest. Her name is Jocelyn Womack, and I am so excited about her because unlike most of us who learned from Dr. Angelou by listening to her from afar, Jocelyn was actually one of her students, yes really, her students, literally. And as you can imagine, a student of Dr. Angelo's is a phenomenal woman herself. Jocelyn is an associate in the labor and employment practice at one of the most prestigious law firms in the United States. Jocelyn defends clients involved in complex employment litigation matters, including wage and hour collective action disputes for misclassification of workers, unpaid wages and overtime, meal and rest breaks, and other intricacies of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Jocelyn and I met years ago when I worked as an associate general counsel at a medical device company in Minnesota, and I was asking the partner that I was working with at this particular firm, well, actually, I didn't even ask, I was complaining, I was complaining about the lack of diversity in the firm's representation on our matters. And I was sort of saying, you know, you, you, you guys don't have, and she was a woman, which was lovely, but I was like, y'all don't have any ethnic diversity in this great big old law firm with all these great lawyers. And, um, of course, you know, the presumption was I was looking for associates uh, who could work on our matters who were, um, um, oh, wait, 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 what's that word? It starts with a Q. Oh, yes, qualified. And the partner said to me, why, yes, as a matter of fact, we have an amazing young associate, and she sent me Jocelyn's bio. So this is how I learned that Jocelyn earned her Juris Doctorate from the University of Pennsylvania Law School, and uh, in fact, I thought, well, that's just a fantastic university, and I happened to know that because my father, the great Dr. Henry Vusso-Moyana was actually a professor there many, many years ago. Uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, Jocelyn served as editor-in-chief of the Journal of Labor and Employment Law. Now, those of you who are lawyers or who know anything about law school know that you have to be truly brilliant to be on law review, to even, all, to even come close to being allowed to write for a prestigious law journal, much less to be editor in chief. Jocelyn obtained a master's degree from Columbia University, A phenomenal university. Because why? My father, the late <laughs> great Dr. Henry Moyana got his degrees from the from, from Columbia University, Ivy League in the United States, excellent university, and. Um, uh, that was also when I discovered that Jocelyn got her bachelor's degree from Wake Forest University, and if that does not sound familiar to some of you, that is where Dr. Maya Angelou taught, and that is where Jocelyn studied for a year under Dr. Maya Angelou. And so Jocelyn and I have had a wonderful professional relationship ever since I discovered her, um, thanks to my, you know, uh, uh inquiries, Uh, of her law firm. But uh, all that to say, I have found Jocelyn to be a phenomenal resource and uh, today our partnership continues. She is my outside counsel. She's my go-to chick for my uh, employment matters. And uh, (laughs) so I cannot say enough about Jocelyn. Jocelyn, welcome, welcome, welcome (laughs) to the (laughs) QA.
2: Thank you so much, Bway, for having me tonight, and thank you for that very, very nice introduction. I appreciate it, and I'm happy to be here and absolutely thrilled to be able to have this opportunity to reflect with you on Dr. Angelou. So
1: before we get into that topic, share with us, in your own words, um, what do you do?
2: Well, as you mentioned, I'm a labor and employment attorney, and I... I do litigation as a, an associate, I help drive single plaintiff litigation, so I help with depositions, interviewing fact witnesses, but a lot of my time, as you know, is spent doing client counseling, so talking to clients about new policies or new laws that have come out, I might help them with terminating an employee, you know, where they want to get like a second opinion before they make a decision, I might counsel them on disability-related issues, issues that come under the Family Medical Leave Act and so on and so forth and I also do a lot of pro bono work in my my practice as well I have a couple of regular clients here in Philadelphia Um, one is a women's group where I do the same kind of counseling but for them it is free
1: (laughs) free is good everybody who looks for lawyers seems to want free legal advice (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and how long have you been, can you mention can you tell us the name of the firm that you work for
2: Yes, I work for Morgan, Lewis, and Bacchus, and I'm in their Philadelphia office. And in October of this year, it will have been five years, which even surprises me. It's been,
1: wow. it's gone
2: by so quickly. But, yeah, five years in October. Well
1: done. Congratulations. That's a big deal. <laughs> Thank you. And especially for a young associate of color, in a major prestigious law firm, because a lot of us don't do well in major law firms. So for you to have been there five years is actually quite a feat, I must say. So Thank congratulations. You. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, so when we think about the um, work that you do, so you mentioned you're based in Philadelphia. Are you focused solely on clients in Philadelphia, or do you serve clients around the country as well?
2: I serve clients all over the country. California, I've, as you know, I've had clients in Minnesota. I've had clients in Illinois. I have clients in New York. I, I talk to people all over the country every day. And I've even had some counseling issues, and I've, I've worked with clients in London. <laughs> so. Oh wow.
1: Definitely. Oh, so it's the not just it. it's,
2: it's international. Yeah, then. that's international. Yeah, I've done some international no, counseling. That's a- And luckily enough, you know, our firm has international offices, so if I don't have the answer, I can network with my colleagues in our international offices to get the answer for our clients who are abroad.
1: Excellent. Now, you wrote an article about Dr. Angelo on BK Nation. What was the title of your article?
2: Yes. The title of the article was actually a quote from Maya Angelo, which was, When you learn, teach. When you get, give. I I thought that it was a great summation of just the influence that she had on my life and just the principles that I think we took away from her as her students. And what did, what inspired you to write it? It's funny. I was reflecting on her passing and I just happened to look at Twitter and one of my former employer-slash-friend-slash-mentor, um, a writer by the name of Kevin Powell, was tweeting about Dr. Angelo, and, and I mentioned to him, I said, you know, if it weren't for her, I would have never met you. We would have never had an opportunity to work together, and, and that's really been the case quite, a lot quite recently, unfortunately, a lot of, of several of my mentors have died over the last few years, um, from Maya Angelou to Amiri Baraka, who I took a class with while I was at Columbia, and um, also, unfortunately, uh, Dr. Manning Marable passed away a few years ago as well, and all of these people were very central to my life right after I graduated from Wake Forest, and they're all sort of part of this connection that I had to Kevin and our time together, and, and just... They have a huge influence on my life, and so when I saw him tweeting about it, it just made me think about the great time that I had with him, about, you know, just how great he was as an employer. Um, When I worked for him, he was really invested in, in me as a person and not just, you know, his assistant that came to his home to help him plan for lectures, to help organize his archives and his files. He wanted to be sure that I was experiencing life to the fullest in New York City, and, you know, I grew up in Virginia. I went to college in North Carolina. New, moving to New York is kind of a big deal, so we would, you know, take walks around Brooklyn. He made me eat Jamaican food for the first time, made me eat Thai food for the first <laughs> time. And, and so when she passed, it, you know, it just made me think about sort of all of these rich experiences that I've had since I've graduated from Wake Forest – way, way back in 2000, and it, it started with her because she opened that door for me to go to New York, for me to relocate there, for me to start working for him, and, and I was just, you know, it, it, it was sad news, but it was also, I was also filled with joy as I, as I thought about that connection that I had with her and, and just the huge influence that she had on my life and, and just, I don't know, I kind of just looked back on it and, awe, oh, like, wow, that really happened, so... <laughs> So that's sort of where yeah. – that's sort of how I ended up writing the article because Kevin has a website, and he said, you know, I'm trying to do a whole issue on Dr. Angela. I'd like to have reflections, and I'd love to have your contribution. So I said, sure. So I, you know, took a moment, wrote something, and he posted it, and, and that's sort of where that all came from.
1: Oh, that's nice. So take us back to the year 2000. Was at, it at Wake Forest? Was it hard? to get into her class?
2: hard does not even begin to describe it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there were a lot of reasons why I decided to go to Wake Forest, and, and one of them, you know, you hear when, when colleges are making their pitches to students, one of them is, is about all of the esteemed faculty that they have, and one of the things that Wake Forest really prided itself in was the fact that Dr. Angelou was on its staff, and I think When I was in high school, a senior, you know, kind of cynical about it. I was like, yeah, she's on your staff, but is she really going to teach a class? Or if she does teach it, Mm -hmm. she'll probably teach it once, and I'll be lucky if I ever get in. You know, (laughs) much to my shock and my pleasure, I was absolutely wrong (laughs) in making that assumption. And she taught three of the four years that I was at Wake Forest, and as you can imagine – Every student, and when I say student, I'm talking about undergrad, grad student, anyone who could (laughs) enroll at Wake Forest wanted that opportunity to get into Dr. Angelo's class. And like most colleges, you know, there are always classes that are popular, and the way things go, if you're a freshman, you're kind of bottom of the totem pole so it's it's pretty much Mm -hmm. a done deal you're not even going to get on the wait list (laughs) so um so I kind of understood that I said okay I'll just bide my time and hopefully you know as I become more (laughs) senior my odds of actually getting in will improve right so my sophomore year if I recall correctly I don't think she taught she came back my junior year and she taught and that year I actually got on the wait list but I did not get off the wait list (laughs) but she did tell us she said I'll be back next year, I'll be teaching two classes next year, so please come back, please try to get into the class again. I'm like, uh, you don't even have to tell me that I'm going to get into the <laughs> class next year as a senior, okay? I mean, there's got to be some payoff for the dues you pay if you make it through four years, and, and, you know, fortunately, it worked out. I did. I wasn't even waitlisted. I got into both of her classes that year um, and, and just sort of sent my condolences to the freshmen who were were turned away or didn't even make (laughs) it onto the wait list. But what I will say, you know, to her credit, our class was probably fit to seat maybe 50 students. She tried Mm -hmm. her best to take every single person she could off the wait list. So I think when it was all said and done, we ended up having a class of about 75 to 80 people, and people, Holy you know, were cow. just sitting where they could, standing where they could. They just wanted to <laughs> be there, and she, she understood that. And so she tried her best to let in as many as she could so that people could have the experience. So, I mean, it was great. It was great. Oh, it was was great. great. But, yes, yeah, to answer your question, it was extremely difficult
1: <laughs> to get wow. into that class. And you got in not once, but twice. So what were the, what were the topics for the two classes that you took under to her?
2: So in the fall of my senior year, that would have been uh, fall of 1999, she taught a course on liberation through literature. So we studied works from a, a diverse array of writers from all periods of time, you know, James Baldwin, Polly Marshall, and all of the books had some theme of, of someone in the book trying to liberate themselves from their circumstances. And we just talked about sort of those those ties that, that connected all of these individuals and from all different walks of life. And the great part about it is, you know, the first day of class you come in and you're really nervous, and to put us at ease, the first announcement that she makes is, look, you're all going to get A's. So I want you oh. to just relax and have a good experience And the only thing that I ask of you is that at some point over the course of this semester, you make a meaningful contribution to our discussion about the literature. And, yeah, collective sigh of relief, okay, I can handle that. I can do that. And, I mean, it it was easy to do because the work that she had us reading, the works were just great. I mean, I love James Baldwin, so she had me. I knew it was going to be a good class. So we talked about that, and and as a part of the course, you also – We were also invited to her home to have dinner, and we screened a film, because that was about two years after the film that she directed, Down in the Delta, was released. Wow. So she had her over her home and we watched down in the delta because it sort of it connected to this whole idea of of these characters who are trying to liberate themselves and and you know some of it was very literal you know someone trying to physically liberate themselves and then a lot of times we had we explored characters who were trying to break free of something psychologically um and it was really Mm -hmm. great because she pushed us to sort of look beyond our traditional, our comfortable notions of analyzing characters or looking at books. Um, Second class in the spring of 2000 was a poetry and performance class. So again, you know, we're studying works from a very diverse array of of writers, and the class culminated in a performance at the theater at Wake Forest where each one of us had to get up and do a poem on our own, and of course, the catch is, you know, she wanted to push you to get outside mm-hmm. your comfort zone. So, for example, you know, I am, like I said, I'm from Virginia, and I don't know how much of an accent I have now, but you know, if I spend a couple of days at home, that southern <laughs> accent comes out. And so, she pushed me to do. Um, a Robert Burns poem who is a Scottish poet in a Scottish accent. Wow. Don't ask me to do that now because I absolutely could never repeat that feat. But yeah, that, you know, those were the sorts of things that she tried to get out of us. And it was really sweet because she invited all of her friends from the community. I mean, we had a really good turnout and, I think we all had to wear, I think, a solid black, either a black dress or a black suit. And before, and before the performance, she gave the guys a pen to wear, and all of the girls got a strand of pearls to put on with their outfits. It was just really oh, sweet nice. and sentimental and, and just, very, just very generous, but just, you know, it, it felt very special. Um, she put a lot of time into that and, and took a lot of pride in the performance that we put on, and it was just, it was excellent.
1: Wow. That's pretty amazing. So did she take, you know, in my head, I've got this visual of these 70 plus, 50 to 70 students. Did she take all of you to her house for dinner?
2: Oh, yes. Every single one of us invited to her home, and she set up in the backyard. So she set up chairs, and then she had, like, a screen there where we could watch the film, and we had, oh, my God, we had this baked spaghetti that was so good, and the best sweet tea i have ever had and i'm from the south and i've had my share of delicious sweet teas but i to this day remember how good the sweet tea was at her home and and so yeah she talked to us we sat around after the film and we talked about the film we talked about some of the books that we were reading she allowed us like in smaller groups to break up and take a tour of her house i, I mean it was, it was a very long night it wasn't you know when someone like Dr. Angelo invites you to her home. You're thinking, you know what, if we just get an hour, we're good. (laughs) You know, you're not thinking that she's going to just, you know, you're thinking, okay, we're just going to get in and get out. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not supposed to go. We're just going to sit in this chair and we're going to eat our dinner and we're going to be really happy about it. Um, But instead, you know, I felt like I was being welcomed in the home of a, a friend or a family member. I mean, we were made to feel very comfortable. I know that that evening had to have been at least three to four hours at a minimum. Wow. And, you know, we never got the sense of like, okay, kids, you know, I'm I'm, t- I'm tired of you. Wrap it up. Go home. I'm done with you now. <laughs> no, she was, I mean, she was there till the very end, just interacting with everyone. And I, like I said in the article that I wrote for BK Nation, there are few people that live up to the legend. And I just think that Dr. Angelo was one of those people who, not only lived up to the legend, but in many ways surpassed it. Wow,
1: that's really amazing. So when you reflect on the takeaways, um, what were the biggest life lessons that you took away from those two classes that you had?
2: One of the lessons that I remember that that still sticks with me to this day, um, she talked to us about how she was afraid of death. And that resonated with me because, you know, I think that it's normal for people to have a a fear of death. I I certainly have one myself. And sometimes, you know, in your quiet moments, you kind of think about how, you know, it's this inevitable thing. We're going to lose people that we love and care about. And sometimes that kind of fear and anxiety about the inevitable can be paralyzing and, and she told us that in order to face her fear she decided that what she wanted to do was live the fullest life possible because it was the only way to sort of deal with the fear and that's something that I try to remember and sort of remind myself of on occasion when I get in sort of that place of, of just quiet crippling fear like oh my gosh you know like I haven't called my mom in two weeks she's not going to be around forever and I'm going to kick myself for not doing this and then I remember okay look Let's not be in fear. What are we going to do about it? And so, like for example, like uh, last month, I just decided to go home and surprise my mom for Mother's Day. You know, things like that. That that lesson was quite poignant because I, I read, you know, I, I connected to the fear that she shared, and and I thought it was such a great response to it. Um,
1: wow. Yeah. That that that's kind of funny when you say Dr. Angelo was afraid of death. It's like wow, I mean, he's just afraid of
2: something. <laughs> Exactly. Here's this woman who just seems to be able to do anything. I, I, I just when I, when I listen to you listing her accomplishments and when I think about all that she did, you almost get the sense mm-hmm. that she just woke up one, you know, she'd just wake up and say, you know what, I want to go write a book. You know, just, and then yeah. like a
1: week later she wakes and she up. And she wrote says, a ton you know,
2: of them. <laughs> yeah, she wrote tons of them. And then she wakes up two weeks later and says, you know, I think I'm gonna direct a movie, and it gets done. You know, it's, it's kind of amazing, and yeah. And so it's, it's, it's. I don't know. It makes you feel even. It made us feel more connected to her for her to share that fear, or to even learn. Like, wow, you are human. You know, you, you know, you have fears just like the rest of us. It was, yeah. It, it was definitely something that stood out with me. And then, like I said, it's something that I think about quite often, actually, when I think about her, or just. Dealing with a number of things in life, I think, about that particular lesson that she shared with us. Um,
1: So she had many quotes, lots and lots of quotes that were publicly um, touted. And in fact, one of her quotes, I I think it's it's the one that I have seen uh, by far the most since she passed. And it's actually the quote that I... um, was, I, I thought was so very appropriate for this particular show, and it was the quote where she said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Were there any particular things that she said in her class, not you know quotes and books and stuff, but just things that she said that stuck with you? One thing she said that stuck with me the most, and, and
2: she may have, knowing her, she's probably said it publicly, because I think that she's one of those people that, you know, is constantly sort of sharing her wisdom with others, but um, just to backtrack a bit, you know, I had an experience, I think I might be jumping ahead, but I, I just want to go into the experience that I had visiting her during office hours, mm-hmm. and and, you know, I'd gone to ask her a question about class, and I was just hoping, once again, just to get maybe 10 minutes of time, and I'm, I consider that a win, you know, 10 minutes and I'm good. And it ended up being this, like, two- or three-hour conversation that I had with her because once I realized, okay, she's really here to talk and she's okay with having a conversation, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to run with it and see where we go. You know, I, I, yeah. she she complimented me. I will never forget I had on a pink Cardigan that day, and she's like, "I love that color." And I said, "Well, thank you, soror," because I knew that we were in the same sorority. And she's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. you're welcome, soror." And okay, we could have ended the conversation right there, and I would still be feeling heaven at heaven at that high. That point. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. At that point, i pretty much left the universe, and that was just like one exchange. And so we continued to talk, you know, about I had questions about like in class. She was really generous with. If we had a question about a random person that she had worked with or that we had seen her in pictures with and we asked her about them, she would always stop and and tell us anecdotes and stories about that person. And the one person that we hadn't talked about in class, and I was a little bit too embarrassed to ask about it, was Tupac because at that time in my life I was very much – I was all things Tupac. I loved him as an artist, and he had been killed my freshman year of college. And, um, and and so I, t- I told her. I said, you know, I always wanted to ask you about Tupac. And it's funny because she said, you know, I wish you would ask me about him in class. I would have loved to have shared this in class. And in fact, I think I'm going to share it at the next class. So we talked about her time on the po- the Poetic Justice set, and her time spent with him, and and how much she had really tried to help him and wanted to help him and sort of take him under her wing. And and Aww. how it, it was it was beautiful. I mean, because I think that. Someone like a Tupac could rub people the wrong way, and your your reaction might be, okay, you know what? I'm going to let you go that way, and <laughs> I'm going to keep my distance <laughs> because you've got a lot of going on with you. And so I love the yeah. idea that she saw him as, you know, I, I think it's fair to say he was a troubled young man and that she wanted to embrace that and embrace him and, and, and really, you know, try to help him. And so we talked about that, and of course, okay, yeah, now I'm really you thought I was out of the universe after the whole exchange about the floor <laughs> thing, yeah? Now I'm really just—I don't even know where I am at this point. I think I'm literally levitating in the room.
1: And so, through the black hole on the other side. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Over exactly. With the
1: enterprise. <laughs> exactly.
2: Or my, as my friends and I used to joke, like, "Girl, I am on deck for the upper room because I'm just going to pass out right here." You know, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the conversation. You know, she kind of asked me, um, "Well, what do you think? What are you going to do after graduation?" And I really didn't know. You know, I was one of those people that went to college and thought, like, "Oh, you go to college, and when you leave, you get a job." And I don't know what that job is, but you're supposed to know what it is by the time you leave it. And I had no idea. And so that's why I was, you know, grateful for Kevin, who had made me an offer to – had extended an offer for me to work as his assistant in Brooklyn later that year because I decided to do that, but I told her that it also had some interest in writing and maybe journalism, and she just said, well – and I already told her that I was go- I was going to relocate to New York, and she said, well, where, do you, where would you like to work this summer? And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> where do I want to work this summer? And I was like, well – you know, I look, I just want the experience. I don't – beggars can't be treated. Can without no job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if it's actually a job doing something I want to do, bonus. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you what I will and will not do. I will do whatever is basically what I'm saying. And she said, mm-hmm. well, you know, I have friends in New York, and I think that we could figure something out. And she then proceeds to write down her home phone number, which was another – Don't even. I I still have the notebook and the piece of paper where she wrote down her phone number. It'll be worth like $10 million in a couple of years. (laughs) I would never sell it. I would never, never, never. And so she's like, okay, well, I want you to call me tonight, I don't know, after 6.30 or anytime after 7, and I'll have some options for you. So, of course, okay, okay. At that point I'm just like speechless, I'm stuttering, I am flabbergasted, I am shocked, I am overwhelmed, and I I don't know, I think I managed to mutter out a thanks and say something to the effect of, you know, I really appreciate this. I had no intention to come in here and solicit work, you know. I just really wanted to talk. And and this is this is getting to your point and to your question. What she said to me in response has stuck with me to this day. And she said, I am here to be used, not abused. And, yeah, she said, you know, I, she said, I am fortunate enough and I am blessed to have friends who can help people. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to try to help people, you know, do what it is that they're trying to do, and if, if I have the means and I have the resources, then certainly I'm supposed to share and I'm supposed to provide. That's what I do. She's like, I just don't want to be abused. And, of course, I, at this point, I think I just, I don't know, I'm trying not to cry. I think I might have muttered out, yeah, no, no, I wouldn't abuse." <laughs> just Whatever. <laughs> but it's just a wholly inappropriate, very underwhelming response from me. Um, and... Yeah. And that lesson kind of stuck with me. I mean, I had no idea when I walked into that office that day just to chit-chat with her and maybe soak up some of that excellence that she (laughs) had. I had no idea that by the end of that night, I had an offer. I could either go and intern at Essence Magazine or I could intern at Ms. Magazine. She's like, I know the editor-in-chief at both. She's like, so tell me which one, and then I'll get back in touch with them and then someone will reach out to you. And I said, well, I, okay, yeah, of course. I'm like, I'm shocked again. <laughs> I just decided, like, okay, I want to do something different, so I'll go to Ms. Magazine and intern and, and, and work there for the summer. And, and that, sure enough, by, I think, June wow. of 2000, that's exactly where I was. Oh, my gosh. And so that's, that's really the amazing. lesson. And I try to just remember that. I mean, because I know that there's really, I mean, she's literally the woman who had it all. So there's nothing other than my gratitude <laughs> that I can really give to her that she couldn't get herself, you know? So I feel like the best way to do it, I know it sounds cliche, but it's to pay it forward. So I feel, you know, I feel very, I feel that's how I honor what she did for me is, is by playing that role for other people whenever I can, if there's someone that's just talking about something they want to do in passing or something they need, or if I see two people that I think are sort of like-minded and working towards the same goals, I want to put those two people together because you never know what can happen. And, and that's what she did for me that day. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah, I'm here to be used, not
1: abused. Well, then maybe this goes into the last question of, Planning to ask you, which is so for all of those listeners out there. What is the best way that people can honor Dr. Maya Angelou's memory? That's absolutely it. I think it goes it goes back to the whole
2: being a, being used and not abused thing. Allowing yourself to be used, and not in the traditional sense that we think about. Oh, this person's using you, but in the sense, you know, we all have gifts, experiences, talents that we bring to the table, and when people cross our path and we hear them talking about their goals or their dreams or listen to what it is that they're trying to do, if there's something that you can contribute, by all means, I think you honor her by contributing to that person. And it might not be something tangible. It might not be some networking opportunity. Sometimes I think people just benefit from hearing your experiences or hearing the lessons that you've learned. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about making it five years at a a law firm as a a person of color. And my success and my being able to keep my job this long is due in large part to people who took the time to sit down with me and talk about the missteps that they made as a junior associate and and share those lessons Mm -hmm. with me. And, And I take them to heart and I try to apply them and remember them and think about them. and. I think sometimes it might also come in the form of criticism, you know, someone telling you, hey, this is great, but next time you could do X, Y, and Z better. I think that's how we honor her. I think it's being open with people, and I think it's teaching them when we can, giving when we can, and and trying to connect like-minded people, because you never know what that could bring to the world. It could be something great. So (laughs) or how you might be affecting their life. You could be changing their life and and not have any idea that you're doing that. So I think that's how we honor her and and I think going back to that, you know, what I mentioned about her fear of death, I think trying to live a full life. You know, not to that Yeah. (laughs) Living a full life and I think sometimes that means stepping outside of your, your comfort zone. You don't have to do it all the time, but every now and then, you know, just being bold enough to give it a try and, and sort of taking that effort as the victory, just think, you know, it, it might not always work out,
1: but at least you did it. Well, and you know, um, the thing that I thought about as you were talking about her saying that she was here to be used is the fact that your success is unremarkable to you, right? So, for you to have made it five years in a large law firm may be unremarkable to you because you did it. And, and the fact that you did it means that you have the tools, the energy, the interest, the curiosity, all of the qualities that you needed to learn your way through and to be successful. And then you were also um, supremely qualified and you're pretty <laughs> right. smart. Otherwise, you'd have never made it through the door of that law firm. Right. <laughs> right. But when it's you, right, it, it it's not a remarkable thing. And I, I'm struck by how humble Dr. Angelo was because to her, it was nothing, right, to make an right. introduction to two magazines because they just happened to be people that she knew. If you had said, I want to work at harpo Uh, she'd have just picked up the phone and called her friend and said, hey, Oprah, i got this young lady who wants to come and work for you. And, you know, to me and you, it was like, wow. Wow. Right. (laughs) What a Rolodex, right? And, and and we sort of, you know, here you are talking about how enamored you are with this woman and, and and you know, she kind of she blows at you and I'm I'm sort of mentally, vicariously living through you. I mean if she if she even looked at my way I, I think I'd just be falling over, right? And so but to her it was an unremarkable thing that she did. And I think if we all take that view that actually even though my success is unremarkable to me, Um, there are other people who can use what I know, the people that I know, the things that I know, and actually it's the reason I do this show because I have a lot of things that over time i figured out, hey, you know, I have a lot of things to say and I've got a lot of people that I know who have a lot of things to say that other people find helpful. And so perhaps it's as we're thinking about paying it forward, it's also to remember that there is nothing that you are that isn't good enough to share. And so to somebody Absolutely.
2: else,
1: you know, your two cents worth of success might be all the difference in the world. And so I think we do have that responsibility to share what we know and our skills and our talents because we're not all created equal. And I, I always hate it when people say, well, if I can do it, you can do it. And I'm like, no, that's not true. That's never right. true. Right. <laughs> Because you've got your skills, your talents, your determination, and you've got your triggers. You've got that thing that made you wake up that one day and say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this, and, and, and not everybody can do that. So I, I I take the point and I encourage our listeners, you know, no gift is too small, no ability is too small. And um, we we all, I think, have a duty to share the talents that we have been given so that together we can become collectively better. Any parting words you want to share with our listeners? Um, I think that you have <laughs> summed it up because I, I
2: love what you said about, you know, I think that whatever it is that you have, it is something that you should share. And I, I absolutely think that that is just a great parting message. At least I believe so. I think that that sort of sums up what I think is the best way to honor Dr. Angela's leg- legacy and and to just sort of embody what she meant and what she really was, and, and to keep that legacy, to keep that memory, and to keep her contributions moving forward, even now,
1: even in the event of her passing. Mhm. Well, Jocelyn, thank you so very much for being a guest on this EW show. I um, am just delighted beyond words. And and listeners, you know, this this was such a serendipitous show because I I had planned to do a tribute. And my original plan was I was going to see if I could get people to call in and talk about what something they had read, something they had seen, something that had touched them about Dr. Angelo. And I was actually, you and I were talking about a case at work. Right. (laughs) And I suddenly said, hey, I am so sorry, because, you know, your teacher just passed away, and this is how we end up talking about this, and I said, this is not even work-related, you don't have to do it, <laughs> and, and, and and you're still going to be my outside counselor if you say no, I'd really <laughs> love it if you would talk about your reflections, and I think this just, It just, I I don't really believe in luck. In luck, I think, you know, God orders things a certain way. And I think for the audience to hear you talk about what that was like is just absolutely priceless. So thank you so much for sharing your memories um, and sharing with us just a little bit of what that must have been like. And listeners, I am going to post Jocelyn's profile and a link to the article that she talked about on Speedway.com on the episode for this show. And so visit Speeway.com and you will see all things Jocelyn. If you want to get in touch with Jocelyn, you'll be able to do that too. And um, you'll be able to learn a little bit more about the work that she's doing right now at Morgan Lewis. So Jocelyn, thank you very much for joining me on the Speeway show.
2: Oh, My pleasure, Speeway. Thank you so much for having me. Well,
1: this brings us to the end of this show. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Speeway saying thank you for joining us. Go in peace and pay it forward.
0: Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash the Speedway Show. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle the Speedway Show. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.
1: And it's a wrap. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much for allowing me to do this. I hope I didn't like mumble all my words.
1: <laughs> no, you didn't. In fact, I thought that was absolutely perfect. You, um, you know, the 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 what's the word? The enthusiasm and the joy uh, and and the zeal just really came through, and and it was just delightful to listen to you because, you know, as as you were talking about. How you know when she just you, you just showed up this one day for this one thing and that was it and you were happy? i you know I'm sort of kind of sitting there with you going, yep, I can see what you mean. I can see why that would just be like over the moon, okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then she can right, exactly. The and you're like, ah, this is even better. And this is like, and I can help you. just like, whoa.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, is this really happening? Like, is this is this life? Is this really my life? Is this is this actually happening to me right now? Like, I guess it is happening. I'm not dreaming. Yeah, she was she was she was great. And you know, one thing I didn't mention, but what was so funny about her class is that she only had one little pet peeve, and her pet uh-huh. peeve was people that came to class late, because oh. she she felt like if you came to class late. When you open the door, you let the air out of the room. And I totally get it because I'm one of those people that's easily distracted. So I do, you know, once we're settled and we're digging in and we're going at it, I don't want to hear someone shuffling around and coming late or whatever, you know, do whatever to get themselves set up. And she said, she said, that's the only thing that I ask of you. I ask nothing else of you. I just ask you to get here on time. And if you can't be here on time, I'd rather you just not come, and I won't hold it against you. You know, it's it's not wow. like I'm sitting here taking attendance every day. Simple enough rule to follow in every single class <laughs> without <laughs> fail. Some Somebody. Poor soul. <laughs> would shuffle in there late. And not just like, oh, she just closed the door late, but I mean like a solid <laughs> five to ten minutes late. Because there was one girl I knew, and she had class like way across campus. So there was no way that she was ever going to be on time, but I guess she had just decided to incur the wrath, and the, incurring the wrath was, was worth having the experience But every time she would come in late, and Dr. Angela, sometimes she would just, like, be mid-sentence and just stop and just give the person the look of death. (laughs)
1: Oh,
2: no. How do you you keep doing this? (laughs) You even need to watch. You need to drop that other class, or I don't know, get somebody in the car to like get you over here quicker. But this is crazy because I would never want to be that person. And I kind of feel like she remembered their faces. I feel like she knew who they were when they did. It (laughs) It
1: was so funny.
2: Yes, like funny. Like you had one job. I asked you to do one thing, and what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's funny. But, that, yeah, that is so, oh, my God, that was hilarious when she would do, Ugh. yeah, those poor souls. Poor, well, poor souls. Well, this
1: was fantastic. So send me, um, mm-hmm. actually have, if you want me to use the photo on the Morgan Lewis website, except those are black and white, so. I'm sure you have. You're you're very pretty. I'm sure you have like a color photo. Bio photo
2: somewhere? Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have a Yeah, I have some that could be used. Yeah. Yeah. I can crop okay. let's just crop crop it down in my face and it'll
1: be appropriate.
2: Not that they're inappropriate so, pictures, but they're clearly casual pictures. But I
1: can take one and just like crop it down. So it's just my head. <laughs> okay. Um, so I have I have a lingering question. Do people tell you that I didn't think about until I looked at your bio for recently, do people tell you you look like Carrie washington- Carrie Washington? No, I've never heard that. well, well um, I will take that as a compliment. Oh, <laughs> it's well, just me. I think it's the it's it's the it's the it's a lot the haircut and the eyes, and that was the first person I thought of when I looked at your photo. I was like, you know, I haven't seen this woman for a while. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wow, i absolutely take that as a compliment. <laughs> well, there you have it. All right, my dear. Well, I'm gonna let you go. And uh, so thank you. I will send you an email when this goes out. You'll see it. Um and actually it's going out this it's gonna be on the website this Sunday. So uh, whatever you're sending, you've gotta send it this week because it's posting on the
2: Okay. If I don't send it to you tonight, it will definitely be tomorrow at the latest. And I'm going to share oh, it with my family so you can have all this traffic from Central Virginia on your that website.
1: That is awesome. That is absolutely <laughs> awesome. You have a great weekend, and I'm sure we'll be talking, if not next week, probably within the next two weeks or so. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, b Bye. Bye-bye.